Hey, everybody. It's Naturally Educated again. Today, we're going to be talking about the dugong, the sea cow. My name is Majid Al-Qasimi, and with me is... Abdelrahman Al-Zabi. And I want to remind you guys to get in touch with us, reach out with your comments. Uh, if you have a story to tell or even to tell us what you think of the podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all under Environment Abu Dhabi, one word. And you can also find more on the website or the YouTube channel of Environmental Agency Abu Dhabi. Just look it up like that. Give us a like as well and hit the subscribe button wherever you find or listen to our podcast. So to be clear, the government of Abu Dhabi has always made major efforts to conserve the species, the dugong, also known locally as Baqarat al-Bahar. In fact, dugongs in the UAE waters are protected by federal law number 23 of 1999 for protection of the marine environment. And it's Article 28 of year 2000 of the Emiri Decree, which prohibits the exploitation of dugongs in the UAE, as well as federal law number 24 of 1999 for the protection and development of the environment. So to talk this through, what we can all do, our guest today is Dr. Hamanso Sekar Das. He's the unit head of the Marine Endangered Species and Habitat Department at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. Welcome, Dr. Das. It's good to have you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So I'm just going to get right to it. Could you give us some background on dugongs, on the mammal itself, maybe some things about the way they feed their lifespan, just to get everybody familiar with dugongs? You know, dugong is a marine mammal. It is a herbivorous marine mammal. But before going to dugong, and introduce you to Sirenians. I would prefer to take you through marine mammals as a whole. Globally, we have close to 130 species of marine mammals, and cetaceans uh, means dolphins, whales, and porpoises. They constitute almost 90% of that, like 80 species of cetaceans are there in the world, followed by uh, pinnipeds. Pinnipeds are seals, sea lions, and walruses. And these animals you see in temperate and polar areas, they come to land for part of as part of their life and then bask there. Whereas cetaceans and sirenians, they're always in water. Then come sirenians. Sirenians, only four species, one species of dugong and three species of manatees. And then it is followed by fissipids. It is called polar bears, sea otters. They're also polar in nature. So coming to Sirenians, we have got one species of dugong, whether the dugong is from Australia, Indonesia, East Africa, Middle East, that is only one species, dugong. dugong. And uh, we have three species of manatees. They are uh, West Indian manatees, West African manatees, and Amazonian manatees. So if you see that way, Sirenians are the smallest group of marine mammals ta in taxonomy, if you go through. That is why their conservation is more important than cetaceans. And uh, if you want me to tell about their lifespan uh, of dugongs, like human beings and elephants, it's 70 years. But most of the animals do not live that long. Mm. In UAE, we have got from 54, 55 is the maximum age at death of dugongs in Abu Dhabi waters. We have not seen older than that. So probably Abu Dhabi dugongs are living less than Australian dugongs. But 
we need to have more data on this to say for sure it is not the final conclusion but they live lesser than australian dugongs it means like first year of dugong's life usually very challenging they'll have to be with mother mm-hmm. and gestation period is always 18 months have you seen a baby dugong uh, like the way they go with mom uh, like in water dive and come up they're always attached to mom and if they are separated it is a big danger for I've the I've seen uh, those pictures but maybe for the listeners that don't have any understanding of the shape or what a dugong might look like could you describe it dugongs actually is a grayish brown grayish animal medium size seal with a bifurcated tail mm-hmm. they don't have ability to swim oh. that well they always use coastal waters and uh, graze on sea grasses mm. whenever i see them what strikes me it looks like a seal with almost like a walrus mouth without the tusks right like they have this downward facing lip if you will and they just yes. look like they're always floating in the water I, like they don't <laughs> seem so very dynamic but um yeah i just wanted to help everybody who's never understood or seen what a dugong looks like to sort of picture something for themselves Yes you you almost told the exact shape of a dugong they have tusks but smaller size so you don't see it clearly when they grow old it gets extended and it is seen from outside otherwise dugong tusk is always within its thick lips so you don't see it naturally and they have flippers through by which they usually swim well and pedal like tail that's all dr das you mentioned something about the type of food they eat in terms of sea grass since you mentioned that clearly they are populate the arabian gulf in certain uh, locations i wonder if they're feeding number one if you can explain to us what exactly they feed on but also since they do exist in australia and other parts of the world whether the feeding and the sea grass is similar or the same give us an insight into that no they feed on sea grasses but not the same species australia has got sea grass distribution up to a depth of 40 meters in arabian gulf our sea grasses grow up to 16 meters mm-hmm. usually the most dense sea grasses that you see are between 2 meters to 12 meters so dugongs use coastal waters and we do have uh, three species of sea grasses all three are pioneer species with less biomass compared to the species that you see in australian water mm. australian water they have got 16 species of sea grasses and some of the sea grass species are really good with fiber content now the biggest challenge in arabian gulf is its climate due to high temperature the shallow water sea grasses i know below 6 meters has got seasonality that means during summer they die and decay but their root and rhizome system will be there so what happens in the process dugongs use deeper water or dugongs go for marine algae they are not sea grasses they are uh-huh. algae so they don't get much nutrition what they get from sea grass that is why they'll have to consume more and we do have more than 1600 square kilometers of marine algae in abu dhabi waters and these dugongs they graze on that mm. when there is some mortality unfortunately it is reported to us and we do necropsy post mortem then when we examine we find that stomach full of uh, marine algae there we were surprised and we reported it internationally and they were surprised also but dugongs cannot go hungry they are voracious eaters they eat 18 hours a day Uh, most part of their lives you know uh, every day's function is uh, grazing 
and if they don't get seagrass, they go for uh, marine algae, which look similar. But since, as I told you, nutritionally very low nutrition from marine uh, algae they get, they consume more. So that is the challenge our dugongs sure. get. In spite of that, they have got a very healthy breeding population. So I, I have a question. If they've been around for so long, and quite specifically here in the Middle East, in the Arabian Gulf, historically, we've eaten these, I mean, sort of hunted them in, in our waters by fishermen, put them mm -hmm. on the menu, if you will. Is that still the practice today? No. In fact, uh, in 1970s, dugongs were available in fish market in Abu Dhabi and really? Dubai. Wow. At cost of eight dirhams per Whoa. kg. But in 1970 itself, our leadership realized the importance of protecting dugongs. And there was a bylaw passed then. It was it, it was a fisheries law, uh, if I'm sure. Yeah. Um, then a federal law came in 1999. But before that, there was a law, local law. Because of that, there was no dugong hunting and sale in fish market. But uh, as you know, Cyrenians have been hunted for years, thousands of years for their meat and oil. But fortunately, dugongs in um, Abu Dhabi and or UAE are very safe. Ask me about other parts of the world. Papua New Guinea, um, Pacific Islands, Northern Australia, they have got people who are exempted from Wildlife Act. And exemption from Wildlife Acts allows them to take uh, dugongs. Um, means there is a uh, limit to that, though. Per month, two dugongs, three dugongs or something. That is the only protein source for those people. They're mostly tribals, and the Tribal Act allows them to hunt dugongs, but to a limited okay. number. But UAE, UAE has, uh, it is prohibited in UAE. That's that's good to, to hear, honestly. And um, I want to sort of pivot a bit into pop culture, if you don't mind me, Dr. Das. You know, we know that the dugong is, are usually uh, harmless species, which uh, some people say that it's given rise to the myth of the mermaid. Is that by any chance uh, true? <laughs> I would tell <laughs> this is just uh, uh, characters in stories. Uh -huh. There is nothing true about it because they graze on seagrasses, they were called uh, sea cows. But uh, mermaid, it is a very, very distant comparison. I, I, I don't <laughs> think any, any way they are similar to mermaid. Interesting, mermaids. because what is the taxonomical name that they fall under marine mammals? Sirenians, right? Coming from sirens. Yes, sirens. Mm. So I'm almost, this is what typically mermaids were called sirens, or at least I think that's where the term came. Ah. So Serenian is maybe when they were codified into taxonomy, that's probably where the reference came. But um, yes, they, they they also make a sound, siren kind of sound, whistling sound oh, underwater. Really? And uh, in many places, they are called Serenians. That is the way they communicate. Um, you know, this is uh, in many books and movies, these uh, Serenians are uh, described as mm -hmm. mermaids. <laughs> Even Columbus in uh, 1492, when Discovery of America has described in his book, he, he cited uh, mermaids near uh, North America. But later it was found out that this was the first sighting of a manatee. So even uh, Columbus was <laughs> describing uh, manatees as um, mermaids because many years at sea, if you spent, you means um, anything um, 
of that size and say uh, taking care of the baby if you see that you suddenly relate them to mermaid yeah mm. absolutely it's one of those things where it's not even pop culture but history has sort of weaved those stories together with the natural world which i always think is interesting you can see a lot of whether it be science fiction pop culture they always actually draw a lot of inspiration from the natural world yeah. dr das you mentioned it before but i wanted to go back and sort of dig deeper into this where we have a population here in the Arabian Gulf. So what makes this region in particular so attractive to dugongs other than, I mean, you mentioned the sort of extensive seagrasses, but what, what's so conducive to this species being in our waters? See, dugongs will do well when seagrasses do well. We sometimes in communication and uh, in schools, we say, Yummy seagrass, happy dugongs. So seagrasses are there. In Abu Dhabi, in recent um, uh, marine mapping, we have uh, found out uh, 2,900 square kilometer of seagrasses where almost 3,000 dugongs um, living. And more than that, over 4,000 green turtles also grazing in these uh, seagrass meadows. So our seagrasses are still healthy in spite of climatic condition and uh, some anthropogenic or developmental uh, situations. But still, we have got extended seagrass areas. So that is one. Shallow water is another one. Why I'm telling shallow water and sheltered habitats? It is because dugongs will not prefer areas with open sea with very high waves because, as I told you before, they are poor swimmers. So they take shelter within islands. There are so many islands in Abu Dhabi and you will find seagrass beds around the island, usually in the southern east boundaries of mm -hmm. many islands, you will find uh, seagrasses. So dugongs take shelter, dugongs graze in shallow uh, water and um, up to a depth of 15 meters, 16 meters, it goes up to that, depending on tidal regime. And it is a shallow sea, uh, not many cyclonic conditions and hurricanes. Mm -hmm. So that, that sort of thing helps. Besides that, seagrasses, as I told you, they have good recruitment and growth. That is why dugongs are surviving well and they have a very healthy population in Abu Dhabi water. So, so you do, you, I mean, you say surviving and I know that um, officially dugongs are actually classified as vulnerable, I believe, under the IUCN classification. Could you explain maybe to everybody who's listening, um, what that actually means, vulnerable. Vulnerable means uh, it is a risk category under IUCN red list. Mm -hmm. um, this, this means uh, the species is safe as long as its habitat, its surrounding, its ecosystem is safe. For example, if we are losing our seagrass beds in a very alarming rate, probably, and seagrasses see, are getting lost every year, in few years, you will not find dugongs breeding the way they are breeding today. So their reproduction depends on yeah. seagrasses. And if reproduction rate of reproduction drops, as you know, dugongs are very slow breeding animals. And after that, if this is a pressure that their habitat is uh, at risk, then they their population will go down. And that is where vulnerable. Vulnerable has got five categories, A to E, A, B, C, mm -hmm. D, E, different geographic area, their distribution map, they say, uh, area of occupancy, area of extension. I don't want to go details yeah. into that, but it is habitat and other surrounding ecosystem parameters are to be good to make dugong live longer. That is why dugong is dependent on all these factors. Anything goes wrong, then dugong population will drop. 
That is what is called. So I did a little calculation and I wanted you to help me confirm this. If say the the maximum lifespan of a dugong is 70 years, how many calves does maybe a dugong have in its lifetime? Do you know this? Is, is it recorded? Very good question. If 70 years, their reproductive age will be from females mature a bit late, like by 17 females mature and the males mature by 15 years. So if 17 and every time and their duration of pregnancy, like one calf in three to seven years, and we think in Abu Dhabi condition with seagrass species and all these things, one calf in every five years, if you calculate, maximum five to six calves in, during its whole life a female dugong can mm -hmm. uh, deliver. And that is why we uh, always calculate how many females we are losing per year. And there are some years where we, we lost more females than males. And that is going to give a big surprise in a later year. Because when we do this estimation and all this, due to their slow breeding nature, you can afford to lose maximum 5% of dugongs per wow. year in a condition like Australia where conservation actions are in yeah. place. In our case, probably it is 2 to 3% maximum. You cannot go beyond that. I think 2% when uh, uh, in uh, UAE condition and uh, African condition and Asian condition, maximum 2% of dugongs you can afford to lose. That means if 3,000 dugongs, we cannot lose more than 60 dugongs per year. And we should have 60 dugongs adding to our population every to year. So birth rate should be 5% per year at least, and that is uh, possible because there are adult females in the population. We have seen almost like 15 to 20% of mother calf pairs from our aerial survey. So we are positive about it, but also we are losing many dugongs every year. And the dugongs that we find dead dugongs in our water are not the complete number. There are several dead dugongs which we do not notice or they go unreported. So there is some issues related to that, but that is what I would say now. Yeah, and, and that sounds like such a delicate balance and it probably takes a lot of effort just to keep that balance of producing more dugongs or provide, you know, in different ways, providing the right environment for that to happen. I know in Abu Dhabi, we have environmental marine protection zone, but we'll talk about that later. Besides other factors that do affect the population, I wanted to talk more about the natural kind of uh, impacts on, on the dugong population, specifically if the dugong has any natural predators. You mentioned how they're not good swimmers. They move slowly. I wonder how does a dugong protects itself if it does have yeah, predators. <laughs> Dugongs are poor swimmers, as I told you, and they use coastal waters. They live in and around seagrass areas, but in front of predators, they are helpless, I would say, because their predators are dangerous. Saltwater crocodiles in Southeast Asia areas, huge sharks, uh, those big uh, sharks in Australia, mm. and killer whales, orcas. And uh, fortunately, we do not have any of these species in our water, but we do have reports of orcas, killer whales visiting our water. We have sighting records from 2012, 2015, 2017, wow. 2018. But as uh, orcas do not like this water, this hot water of urban Gulf, they spend few days and then they go back. We consider them as occasional visitors. They are not uh, actually residents of this place. But if they get into du dugong uh, group or 
they find these dugong cops and <laughs> then it will be a, a dangerous situation because dugongs are in fact whether it is in australia or southeast asia when predators attack dugongs are so dr das do, do we find i mean is there sort of i guess there's most probably a correlation but do we find excessively high mortality rates of dugongs when there are sightings or have we not had that be the case no that was the biggest worry for us but these orcas do not stay for more than one week i think they they accidentally get into uh, arvan gulf because we do not have any known foraging or areas for orcas within arvan yeah. gulf but we have sightings video recordings of those species they come and then within one week they disappear but i think uh, dr das after looking at predators i think there's one species that does do a lot in the waters here and that by that i mean us we're doing fishing and i know dugongs are potentially victims of bycatch whether they're entangled in nets or you know whether they're caught in other lines that are in the waters i wanted to ask what is ead doing to protect dugongs um since they've been protecting and studying them for so long now we are not predators but we cause so much of harm to dugong and its habitats federal law number uh, like 23 and 24 has given us really good protection uh, or uh, this is the best instrument that we have declaration of protected area and its establishment management that also helping in spite of that we do have many fishing activities like ghost nets um, like illegal and abandoned nets in shallow what's water what's a ghost net ghost net is the net uh, long lines that is forgotten or lost at uh, the sea right. and their length is uh, like more than 500 Whoa. meters but their width is around 10 meters so they naturally come and settle in water where t- it is 10 meters uh, 8 to 10 meters and that is the best like place where sea grasses grow and that is the place where turtles and dugongs uh, go for foraging so there are several incidences we have seen that the main cause of death for dugongs bycatch and that is again due to these ghost nets and illegal or abandoned nets sometimes fishermen uh, lose it at sea due to high wave and all this and it is forgotten so we have a big role to play like coastal coast guards and uh, people living along the coast fishermen to report and collect these uh, nets otherwise dugongs are in danger but in spite of that we do have some proactive things that abu dhabi is doing we have different seasons for fishing and harmful gears that is for dugongs and turtles are banned for uh, different seasons fishing activities are monitored fishermen uh, those nets are cataloged so things are in place so we are not losing dugongs that much what we were doing few years back now local fisheries laws and regulations are very strict and they are in favor of protecting dugongs and marine and dogs. dr das is is the diving community helping in any way as well yes they do help and there are many very responsible citizens i would say they report they call uh, government numbers they call ead for uh, giving gps location of those nets and how to rescue and we do have regular programs 
where we go for sea cleaning or sea floor cleaning kind of thing, where diving clubs, diving associations are associated mm-hmm. with us. They are our main stakeholder for these activities. That's really good to hear, actually. So there are positive aspects uh, when it comes to protecting these animals. Yeah. And honestly, it's kind of encouraging to hear about the efforts that are ongoing in that direction. I wonder, Dr. Das, if you can put it for us in perspective. I know keeping a balanced ecosystem is important, but why is it important to protect the dugongs? So what do they provide, let's say, to the ecosystem? Help us understand the bigger uh, picture. It is a very easy question, difficult <laughs> to answer. <laughs> any species in this matter, if you can say what is important of any species kind of thing. I mean, dinosaurs were there, not now. What is happening to this world? As long as we think humanocentric conservation, this is not going to work. These are biodiversity components, so we'll have to have biocentric con- means components in mind while thinking of conservation. So dugong is important because dugong live in coastal waters and they play an important ecological role in uh, coastal water as an indicator. So a healthy dugong population indicates healthy seagrass and a healthy seagrass indicates good water quality and you know how important is marine water for UAE or coastal areas in the Middle East. We have drinking water, we have got all sorts of use of water from seawater. So we need to have really good quality water. So in spite of all these in climatic stresses and climatic conditions, still we do have good seagrass and healthy dugong. And that is the indicator that our water is still mm-hmm. okay. And in one United Nations Environment Program indicator list, you will see dugongs, marine turtles, seagrass. These are indicator of good health of the marine ecosystem because a healthy dugong, healthy turtle population, healthy seagrass, healthy corals, that will provide you indirect information about the conditions that we are So living. what specifically then, Dr. Das, specific to the dugong, are we doing or what, what actions are we taking to protect the species specifically? You've already mentioned that we don't hunt the species anymore for the fish markets, but are there any other legislation or programs that you could share with us specific to the dugong? In addition to establishment of protected area or implementation of federal law number 23 and 24, I would say we have been monitoring and uh, doing research in seagrass and coastal areas. We have identified eight marine critical areas. All the habitats are being monitored. Dugong, marine turtles, cetaceans are monitored. How how is that done? How's the monitoring done? You mentioned something about an aerial survey Mm -hmm. earlier on, and I wanted to sort of pick that up. We, we, we are conducting aerial survey for dugong uh, population estimation. As you know, marine mammals are estimated. They are not absolute population. We cannot find out. So we go for estimated population and aerial survey is the best method to do that. In Australia, they use aircrafts, but here we use helicopters because of our conditions. There are some protocols to follow and we collect data from that. But there will be obviously some standard error that also we can sure. find out. Our population data, like 3,000 dugongs, if you we are considering in our water, there will be 12 to 15 percent standard error. That means we'll have 450 dugongs plus or minus. That is why when you are, you asked me that research and monitoring is very important. Uh, you will have to consider, unless you lose 450 dugongs, you will not notice the change. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. it is better not to no, it is better not to ch- wait for that situation sure, to come. Sure. 
it is better to be proactive and implement conservation actions so that uh, the early warning system will not surprise yeah, I, I want to make an observation here. Y- you have a marine biology background, if I'm not mistaken, and you yes. fly a helicopter to do your surveys. Yes. How cool do. is that? You're in the air, even though you're a marine biologist. Oh, no. So <laughs> this is this is in my mind always the thing where yeah everybody assumes they're going to be in scuba gear and in the water all the time. But yes, you're doing aerial surveys to take these uh, to take these population scans. We hire some responsible companies mm-hmm. in UAE, and those pilots are good in wildlife surveys, uh, whether in South Africa or US, many places. Marine uh, mammal surveys are always done aerially using helicopter or uh, yeah. aircrafts. We do that, and those population study, monitoring, and the survey of seagrasses. Besides that, we do uh, necropsy, like postmortem or investigation of each and every dugong that we get in our water. If we uh, someone reports a dead dugong, we go for it and go do try to find out cause of death of this animal. So uh, that helps us in taking proper, you know, management action or conservation yeah. action. And uh, most of these fisheries laws that or local laws that we described, it came from our mortality investigation. When we found more number of dugongs dying, one or two reasons, then we report it to senior management and things are taken seriously. So that is how it happens. So investigation of mortality, research, monitoring, and the best thing that we do is education awareness program that helps a lot, citizen science. Yes. Well, honestly, you know, uh, throughout this conversation, I'm just thinking these helpless almost creatures that could be eaten by any predator or overfished by somehow um, getting entangled in nets and so on get to be protected by people like you. So I really appreciate that as a tour guide here in Abu Dhabi. So one thing that fascinates me about being a tour guide personally is gathering facts about different animals that we have around Abu Dhabi. And uh, obviously we understand that the population of dugongs here is the second largest in the world. Another fact I'm, I'm looking for, I'm searching for, is how do these marine mammals rest? How do they sleep? Especially when they're in herds that are up to the size of, I don't know, 200, 250 mammals at the same point. <laughs> uh, you have got two questions here. First one is the population size. I, I would like to explain you that globally we have got uh, close to 100,000 wow. dugongs where uh, almost 85% of that, like 85,000 to 90,000 dugongs are in Australian water. So raised only 10,000 in rest of the world or um, other 41 uh, range states uh, um, in the world. Um, in Arabian Gulf, we have got over 7,000 dugongs, out of which 3,000 in UAE waters. And 3,000 is the n- largest number in this region. And that is how we consider and uh, international researchers, communities consider the second largest population of dugong exist in or occur in Abu Dhabi waters. And we are responsible for its uh, protection. Your second question is how do they sleep? (laughs) (laughs) I have also this thing came to my mind many times and I have checked all research papers and all these things. Frankly, we do not have much knowledge or no one has studied dugong on this aspect. No way, that's interesting. Uh, so we do not have any information. But they have studied something in Toiba Aquarium and Singapore, Sentosa Island, there was a dugong. Some uh, students were studying that and they noticed that these dugongs, captive dugongs, I'm telling you, on wild dugongs, we have not much data. Captive dugongs, they float on the surface of water 
horizontally for some time. And that time, they have no problem in breathing because their nostril is up. They can, because they are air breathing animal, mm. they'll have to come up every six to 10 minutes to breathe. But in wild, some Australian researchers have reported that they can also sleep vertically. It is not sleeping, actually. They call it resting when brain will go to not like active stage. stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, rest is. And they come up to the surface of water, breathe and go down. Again, rest, continue to rest. But as you know, Dugongs, as I told you, 18 hours in a day, they will look for food and graze wherever mm -hmm. they find. So they're active. That is why shallow water helps them. They can come within few seconds up there to breathe and go back. So they cannot sleep fully the way we sleep. Otherwise, they will get drowned. <laughs> it makes me think, of, I believe horses do the same, is that they have their, mm -hmm. their brain waves come down to a rest state and they will sleep standing, as it were. Uh, and I believe cows as well. I need to look that up. Um, but that, I find that super fascinating. Uh, there's so many aspects of these animals that we have yet to um, yet to understand. They're beautiful, they're intelligent, and they are ultimately peaceful creatures. But I wanted to ask then, with that, what can we do and how can we do more to help raise awareness of dugongs and dugong conservation? <laughs> you know, this is uh, a very good question. Once in uh, IUCN, there was a talk and in a keynote address, this was asked that we always say, it is a very easy question with easy answer, saying that, oh, awareness, this one, <laughs> that one. But the speaker gave a different view to that. He said, in the end, we'll conserve what we love. So unless we love something, we cannot conserve or protect it. And we'll love only what we value. If we don't value or respect anything, we'll not love it. True, true. And we'll value only when we are taught its importance and its uniqueness. So awareness is the most important thing, but it is told in this way. We'll have to aware ourselves and our community that the value of this ecosystem or value of this species so that we'll respect and love this. And once we start respecting and loving this animal, then we know how to protect it. Though here I would say that in UAE, we have got wide range of uh, stakeholders. Mm -hmm from corporates, from public, from citizen, responsible citizen, fishermen. School programs are there like through sustainability school and uh, nature clubs. We have got so many stakeholders. We get so many calls during winter, you can't imagine. Uh, sometimes we are few teams who will be working together to respond to this. And now stakeholders are helping and we give them uh, training through workshops and they handle turtles and dugongs and wait till we go if there is a necropsy or anything to be done mm -hmm. by researchers. They wait there till we reach. Besides that, we have got diving clubs. We have got tourist companies, tourism companies like Eastern Mangrove, those kayaking companies, and they, they call us. So we have got from islands also calls. People living there are very, very much aware of uh, uh, importance of these species. So I think we are very lucky that we are surrounded by stakeholders and good citizens who respect and love these uh, That's species. so poetic. So awareness and education that fosters valuing the uniqueness of the species, which then fosters the love for these species. And ultimately, that's where you get your conservation. Communication is the key to conservation. Communication is the key, absolutely. And that's why we're here on this podcast with you. Dr. Hemansu Sekardas, thank you so much. 
He's the unit head of the Marine Endangered Species and Habitat Department at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. Thank you, Dr. Das. Thank you das. so much, Dr. Das, for your time today. You've been an extremely wise and good teacher. I've, I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much. Thank you all. And it was a pleasure talking to you. You had so easy as well as difficult questions <laughs> for me. I, I think I could respond to all your questions. Thank you, you very <laughs> well. Thank you very much. You did great. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I just want to make sure you get in touch or you reach out with your comments or any stories you do have to tell. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi as one word, or find us at the website or YouTube of the Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. And hey, also give us a like and hit subscribe wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. This is Majid signing off. This is Abdurrahman. Thank you guys for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.